Good morning. I, I gotta confess to you, I just I love this seating arrangement. Okay. So we really did this for, for you guys so that you don't have to like hurt your necks. You know, you're always like turning your neck. And I love being able to see your face and not the side of your head and stuff. So, so anyway, I hope you love it too. Um, if not, you'll you'll come to love it. But uh, anyway. Yeah, there's a basic human question that we all ask that sometimes causes us to squirm a little bit. That question is, where did I come from? When a parent hears that question from their very young child, parents tend to squirm a little bit. Okay, am I going to have to have the talk now with them? Or am I just going to say, came from a stork? Yeah, the stork dropped you in our cabbage patch. That's kind of the way we squirm around some of these questions. When we lived in Texas, Sherry's from Texas, when I was living in Texas, we would sometimes ask people, where are you from? And it may have been my imagination, but the people from Arkansas, I can swear, were squirming a little bit. Arkansas, you know, when I'm, I'm from Maryland, and so when I was growing up, it was kind of like West Virginia. You know, I don't know, maybe it was my imagination, maybe some of you are from those places and you can correct me and you're not squirming at all. You're proud of being from Arkansas or West Virginia, I don't know. But, uh, you know, if we take a step back from that uh, question and ask where did I come from in an existential kind of way, that question oftentimes makes us squirm in conversations because there tends to be a lot of contention around the, the beliefs of, of either faith or science these days. So faith would answer that question, where did I come from, by saying there's a deity, there's a supreme being somewhere that is the source of everything. Whereas science, on the other hand, often tries to explain and, and say that the source where I came from is really ultimately from, from a non-living source. They, they might use the word abiogenesis. That's kind of a popular word to use right now. Let me just read you a definition for abiogenesis. Uh, life emerged from non-living matter through a natural process of chemical reactions several billion years ago. And then through a slow creep of organization fueled by the energy input of the sun, life has progressed to what we know today. Okay, so, so the divide, there's a huge divide between those ideas, right? We've got deity or we've got life arising from, from non-living matter. So there's a huge divide and in that divide, there really has arisen kind of a war in our culture that often gets played out in classrooms, and we see it in this, this contention between the idea of evolution and now intelligent design. And so there have been all kinds of petitions from parents, lawsuits from parents who say, you know, we, we don't want just evolution being taught in classrooms. Or in those classrooms where only evolution is taught and there's no creation, there's no intelligent design. Sometimes there's lawsuits that say, no, we, we need to have intelligent design being taught, or we, we need to have all of it being taught, or, you know, no creation, that's too much like faith. And so there's all of this tension there around this, this question, and it's very likely this morning that we have people here this morning on both sides of that, that question. And so if you're here this morning, and I'm, I'm sure we have lots of people who would be on the faith side of that to believe there's a deity, I hope we have some people here this morning who would say, no, I don't, I don't really believe that there is a deity. I believe that 
really science can explain everything apart from God. And regardless of where you are on, those, on that question, I would just encourage us this morning to think in terms of this is not a combat zone here today. I want to just declare this not a combat zone, but this is a conversation zone. And that we want to talk about what the Bible says about that and, and present the, the faith end of things. So this morning we're starting a, a new series looking at the first three chapters of the Bible. And the first, the first chapter of the Bible is going to answer the question for us, where did we come from? And so we're going to look at that question here this morning. But I want to define what I'm not going to try to do this morning and what I am going to aim to do. So first of all, what I'm not going to try to do is deal with every issue around these, these questions. So we're not going to talk about dinosaurs this morning. We're not going to talk about whether the earth is young or old. We, we, we just can't get into every detail of, of all of that or else we would still be here when the Eagles game starts. And yes, I realize that the Eagles game is tomorrow night and that's when it starts. So there's just so much around this that we can't deal with it all this morning. And, and really, I'm not even going to try in the half an hour that we have here to talk this morning to even reconcile faith and science. But I, I do want to say this. I do believe that it is possible to reconcile faith and science. I don't think it has to be a war. And the reason I say that is because I believe that when science is done well, when science is accurate in its observations and interpretations, that it leads to truth. I think science has led us to a lot of things, to learn a lot of things. I'm so thankful at times when I've taken antibiotics, I'm thankful someone studied science and was led to the truth of understanding how to come up with, with medicine. So it leads us to truth when it's done well. And when theology, when faith is interpreted, when the Bible is interpreted well, it leads us to truth. It's been said before, all truth is God's truth. So there doesn't need to be a, a war between these two things. And I, I will just say this uh, to you if you're scientifically minded here this morning. On the faith end of things, as we interpret what the Bible says, sometimes we get that wrong too. I mean, for, for a lot of history, people interpreted from the Bible that the, the earth, uh, that the earth was the center of everything, that the sun revolved around the earth. That's why it rose and set in the day, right? So whenever it was proposed, no, the sun is really the center, and the earth revolves around the sun, people were condemned as heretics because we were misinterpreting what Scripture says. So that's possible too. Just as it's, it's possible to misinterpret our scientific observations, it's also possible sometimes to misinterpret our Scriptures. But when we are looking and, and doing science and theology well, I believe they can meet. They have to. Because I believe that, that both of those things present truth to us. So I'm not going to try to work all of that out this morning. That's all I'm going to say about trying to bring those things together. Here's what I do want to do. I want us to go to Genesis 1, and I want to see what message is there for us, and to grasp the message that's there. God doesn't answer every question that we have in Scripture. Sometimes that frustrates me. Sometimes I wish he would answer more of our questions, but the fact is, he doesn't answer all of our questions, 
but he does answer the questions that he feels like are most important for us to know. And so in Genesis 1, he's going to answer the question, where did we come from? And maybe even more importantly than that, so what? What difference does it make if we know where we came from? So if you would take a Bible and turn to Genesis 1, really easy to find, page 1 in your Bible. And we're starting a series here that we've, we've called Scarred. As we look around at our world, we see our world very broken. We see disease. We see conflict. We see confusion. And the message that we see in Genesis 1 through 3 is that it was not always this way. And in fact, it wasn't intended, wasn't created this way in the beginning. It was created perfect. But then something happened that scarred everything, and God still gives us hope. So we're not going to get into all of that this morning. We're just going to begin in Genesis 1 with that question, where did we come from? And that question gets answered in the first four words of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that word created, we're just going to pause there because there's a whole lot already in in that verse. That that word created is bara. Every time it's used in the Hebrew scriptures, it refers to God creating something. So God is able to speak things out of nothingness. Let's let's do read verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So when God creates bara, he is able to call things into existence that don't exist before that. He has no, he doesn't have to have raw materials to work with. I wish I could do that, I'm not able to do that. I wish I could say, let there be a bowl of ice cream. Yeah, chocolate chip cookie dough, Blue Belt, that's, that's a Texas brand. I wish I could say that and it would just appear right there in my hand. I've tried it before, it just it's never happened. I wish I could say that for all of you. Let there be a bowl of ice cream in your hands right now, spoon, ready to go. I, I can't call things into existence. None of us can call things into existence. When humans say, we use the word creative about humans, and so we create things like buildings, like the chair that you're sitting on. Humans create things, but when we use that word create, what's really happening is we're rearranging raw materials that we have available to us. That's true if you're writing books, you're you're rearranging words. If you're writing music, you're rearranging notes that already exist. We're not creating out of nothing. God is the only one who, Scripture tells us, is able to do that. So, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, we understand that God, that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so God doesn't need raw materials to work with. He creates the raw materials by the power of his his word. So Genesis 1 begins with, in the beginning, God God created. To understand really the impact of these words, we need to think a little bit about the original readers who would have been reading the book of Genesis. 
The, the book of Genesis was written along with four other books that we sometimes call the Pentateuch. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all written as the history of the nation of Israel. So what we find in Israel's history is that God called a man named Abram, renamed him Abraham, and birthed this nation of Israel that after a number of years went to Egypt to escape a famine. And as they're living in Egypt, the the Pharaoh there becomes afraid of them because they're growing so strong, so powerful, so he enslaves them. Okay, I'm giving you a really quick story arc of the history of Israel, but this is important to understand where Genesis 1 fits in. So they were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, and then God miraculously delivers them, releases them from slavery, and then begins to take them to a promised land where he's going to establish them in Canaan. As they are ready to go into the promised land, these five books are written by a man named Moses, and they are communicated to this nation now of over a million people, maybe a couple million people, who all they have known is slavery. All they've known, all they can remember for generations is slavery, and now they're coming into a land that is their own, and God is teaching them, number one, who you are, and then number two, how do you live with each other? How do you live as a community? And so, so he wants to communicate to them, who are you, where did you come from? And he says, in the beginning, God created See, these people of Israel, they're coming from this mindset of Egypt where there are multiple gods, where there's a god of the Nile, and there's a god of fertility, and there's a god of the sun. The sun is a god. They're thinking in terms of multiple gods. They've been surrounded by this mindset, which if you stop and think about it, I mean, throughout history, many cultures, most cultures have embraced multiple gods, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. Because the world is a very complex place. So it it would be kind of natural in our human limitations to say, if we are as limited as we are, well, God must be limited too. So it must take multiple gods to be able to manage all of this stuff. And into that mindset, Genesis 1 speaks and says, no, it doesn't take multiple gods. This God can do it all. This God is able to create everything, manage everything, keep it all hanging together. So the message of Genesis 1 is that God is the source of all, and he is also the Lord of all, because there's one God who's powerful enough to manage all of it. He is the Lord of all. He is the sovereign one. Judaism is on record as the first religion to introduce the idea of monotheism, that there is one God. They're the first ones to to say that. So they were flying in the face of and countering the idea in their day that that it's polytheism, that there are many gods. Today, Genesis 1 speaks into our mindset of atheism, that there is no God. It says, no, there's not no God. There is a God who created, who spoke everything into existence. So Genesis 1 answers the question, where 
did I come from? And the answer to the where question is a who. And now Genesis 1 is going to go on to say, what did this God do? So in verse 2, it says, the earth was without form and void. So it was the earth at that point, when God first created it, was chaotic and it was empty. And what's, what we're going to see as we read on through chapter 1 is God solving those problems of chaos. He's going to bring order to the chaos, and he is going to fill the emptiness. I'm going to give you a, a quick overview of creation through a little video clip here from the Bible miniseries that was on a couple of years ago. Take a look at the screens. All right, so we'll move through these a little bit slower, but not much slower than that, because we don't have a lot of time. But let's go to day one in verse three. God is going to deal with the problem of darkness. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. He's dealing with the chaos of darkness. Verse four, God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse, so that would be the oceans that cover the earth, from the waters that were above the expanse, that would be the heavens, the clouds that we see, rain that's collected up there, moisture, and it was so. Verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. What we see as we move through these various days of creation is a cycle that says, God said, it starts with God said, and it was so, and then he looks at it and says, it was good. We're going to see that cycle over and over and over again. And what he's doing many times as he brings order to the chaos is he is separating things. It's interesting how we as humans love to uh, not separate when we need to separate and love to glom together when we really need to separate and uh, and separate when we really need to stay together. We get this all confused. But God separates sometimes because that is necessary for order. It's, you know this if you're a parent and you've ever taken a long trip and you have multiple kids in the back seat and they're, they're, you know, Johnny's touching me, whatever. He crossed the line on the back seat. And you as a parent are like, just stay apart and don't touch each other. You're, what you're doing is bringing order to the chaos by separating things, right? So this is what God is doing as he begins to create. He is bringing order into the chaos. So that's day one, day two, day three, verse nine. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. We're still on day three. Let it sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, tree, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. 
The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was, what? Good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Let me just pause here again to kind of bring us back to the tension that seems to exist between faith and science. Sometimes scientists will read this chapter 1 of Genesis and say, this can't be true because there's, not, there's just not enough detail here. It just leaves out so many gaps that don't seem to make sense. And so therefore it must be a myth. And so they dismiss it as, as being untrue. And what I would just suggest to you this morning is that we need to be fair to Scripture and not demand that it be something that it never claimed to be. It's never claimed to be a scientific textbook. Okay? It's not claiming to give us every detail. It is claiming to be true. So I believe that everything here is true and consistent with what we see in our world. But I don't believe it's going to necessarily answer every question, give every detail. And so we need to be careful of demanding that it do something that we want it to do when maybe that wasn't what it intended or what God intended in the beginning. If, if God is the source of all, then he is the Lord of all. And so he's going to communicate to us what he wants us to know. And we're free to discover within those boundaries. We're free to pursue science and pursue more details, but let's not demand that God give those to us in his book. Day 4, verse 14. God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Okay, pause there for just a second. What is the greater light to rule the day? The sun. What is the lesser light to rule the night? Isn't it interesting, I I don't know if you caught this as we were reading earlier days, that God was naming things. He he called the expanse heaven in verse 8. In verse 10, he called the dry land earth. It's interesting that when he gets to the sun and the moon, he does not name them. And I think that's fascinating because remember these people are coming out of a culture where the sun was worshipped and where the moon was worshipped as a god. And I love the fact that as Moses writes this down, he just says, you know what, it's a greater light, it's a lesser light, we're not even going to name them. Because ultimately, these parts, these pieces of creation are tools in the hand of the mighty God. They are not gods in the, of themselves. We don't even need to name them. They are tools in God's hand, and they serve his purposes. Verse 19, there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, day 5, we're going to see the waters and the skies be filled with animals. And I'm going to move past these just for sake of time here this morning. So the, the, the waters and the skies, those creatures are all created on day 5. And then verse 24, day 6, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. So now the creatures of the earth are being created, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. 
Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was what? Good. Verse 25, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so chapter 2 in Genesis is going to zoom in on humans, on the creation of humans, and we're going to see how God gives them dominion. We're going to talk more about that next week. Dominion, authority, rule that God gives to to human beings. But day six has come, and now all of creation is in, in place. And as God finishes his work of creation, in verse 31, he evaluates the work that he did. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. It was good. It was perfect. He, he brought order to the chaos, and he filled the emptiness, and everything is perfect. Everything is set in place for these creatures, these humans, to enjoy an existence and a connection with their creator, who is the source. Everything is set in place and perfect. It's, it's very good. It makes sense that it would be very good, Because anything God creates would have to reflect what he is, which is good. See, creation teaches us. It's interesting because scientists, sometimes scientists who do not believe there is a God, look at nature as an end in itself. Whereas scripture suggests to us that we should look at nature to tell us about the God who created nature. In Romans chapter 1, it says, uh, what, what can be known about God is plain to them, talking about people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So scripture would suggest to us that we have no excuse to, to say that there is no God, because when looking at creation it would suggest that there is someone bigger, stronger than we are, smarter than we are, who put all of this in place. So, so Genesis 1 answers the question, where did I come from? God. So what? I mean, what difference does it make to, to you and me if we decide to believe that there's a God who created everything or if really the the origin of everything can be explained by abiogenesis, that that life came from no life. I think there's two really important implications for us if we believe that God created. If, If God created us, then we are subject to him. We are subject to his authority, Think about this again in the, in the realm of a parent-child relationship. Okay? I believe if, if it's a healthy parent-child relationship, there's an authority structure because the parents came first. right? 
and the parents had some kind of role in creating that child or adopting, bringing that child into them. They existed before, they knew things before that child, and so they exert an authority even just by virtue of of those facts. And so God existed before us. He is more powerful than we are. And so there is an authority that he exerts. Thankfully, he is a benevolent authority. And he is good. And the things that he does is good. The world is still a scarred place. And we're going to find out why the world is scarred. But the fact that the world is scarred and messed up and broken has everything to do with our mistakes as human beings and nothing to do with the mistakes that God has made. So God is a good authority, and because he is the source of all, he is the Lord of all. So we should submit ourselves to his lordship. We should worship. As we talk about what a fully committed follower of Christ looks like here at Grace Point, we talk about worship, connect, and serve and share. Worship and gratitude and just awe should flow from us. As we sang that first song, God is indescribable. He is amazing that he would have that kind of power. He is so other than us. I think sometimes we just kind of picture God as like he's kind of a superhuman. He's like a little bit stronger than we are, a little bit smarter than we are. He is in a category by himself. And therefore, We are called to submit to his authority. We are called to worship him. And I hope you understand that when we talk about the word worship, it is not limited to what we do here on Sunday morning, singing songs. That's good. That's an expression of worship. But at its core, worship is about obedience. It's about listening to what God has said to us and saying, I will submit myself. I will follow what you have to say. So if we believe that God created us, we are subject to him. The second thing, which is, that, that, may be, that one may be a little hard for us to swallow sometimes because our ego gets big and we just kind of want to do our own thing. We don't like the idea of submitting to God, but, you know, I just got to tell you, get over it, okay? So he's, he's bigger. He's going to stay God whether you see him as that or not, and you're going to do best in life if you come under his lordship and walk with him. The second truth The second implication, if God created us, is that we're not alone. It means that your life and my life has meaning, has purpose, because there's a personal God who called us into existence. We we are not the result of random chemical reactions that somehow progressed to get us where we are today. And so we ask the question, where did I come from? Where am I going? And there really aren't any answers to those questions. There are answers to those questions. Really, the answer to both of those, where did I come from and where am I going, is is God. I came from God because he is my source. I'm headed to God. I will stand in front of him to give account for the life that he's given to me at some point. And so the comforting thing, it is a comforting thing, to say we're, we're not alone in the world, that the same God who brought order to the chaos in Genesis 1 and filled the emptiness of Genesis 1 is able to bring order to our chaos, order to your chaos, filling to your emptiness. That's why Jesus came 
Jesus came to remind us we, we're not alone. Jesus, we see later in Scripture, was present and active at creation. It says that all things exist by the power of his word. So Father, Son, Spirit, all involved in that original creation. But then Jesus said, I'm not just going to stay outside of creation and watch it. I'm going to enter into creation. I'm going to walk alongside of these people and remind them, you, you are not alone. You are loved. And Jesus, as he walked on the earth, was constantly about bringing order to chaos and filling our emptiness and, and ultimately giving his life so that you and I can be reconnected to the creator who made us. He wants to walk alongside of us this morning, and he's calling us to subject ourselves to him, believe that he exists, and invite him into our lives. That's really at the core of the message of Genesis 1. And we can be grateful that we have a God that is so powerful, so good, so kind. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you for your incredible wisdom that created the earth the way it is, that created um, our bodies to function in such an amazing way, that created ecosystems so that um, on, a, on a huge global scale, things are able to coexist. Lord, we, we believe because we, we believe in what you've said to us in Genesis. We believe that that didn't all come about by accident, but it came about by your design. And we want to give you credit for that this morning. We want to say that you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our, the praises of our lips and the obedience of our hands and our feet and our minds. Lord, bring us more in line with you. Lord, help us to recognize and acknowledge our complete dependence on you as our creator because you are the source of all. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have food to eat. We wouldn't have oxygen to breathe. And so we give you thanks for these things. And even in the midst of a world that is broken, we thank you that Jesus came to restore that world, not because we deserved it, certainly, but just because you're a good God and you keep coming after us with loving kindness. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.